Today we continue in a sermon series called Half-Truths. This is uh, based in work by Adam Hamilton, Half-Truths. God helps those who help themselves and other things the Bible doesn't say. We've really appreciated this series, but please know I'm using a lot of his work. So it's not plagiarism. I told you I'm using it. <laughs> our scripture for today uh, are two passages that, are com- that come from the Psalms. Our first reading comes from Psalm 18. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. He reached down from on high. He took me. He drew me out of the mighty waters. And our second reading from Psalm 121, familiar to many of us. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where will my help come? My help comes from the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. Beautiful song selection, Jody. <laughs> this is the word of God for all of us. Thanks be to God. I ask you please to pray with me. May the words that I say and the reflections that go through all of our minds, may these give you pleasure, God, you who are our rock, you who save us. Amen. Adam Hamilton starts his chapter on this with a story from The Tonight Show back when Jay Leno hosted it. Jay would have a series he called Jaywalking, and they'd go out and interview people on the street, get their opinions about different situations. One time, the jaywalking was going around asking people to name elements from the Ten Commandments. Do you know what a lot of people said? God helps those who help themselves. Okay, friends? Which commandment is that of the Ten Commandments? Yeah, exactly. It's not there. God helps those who help themselves is not in the Ten Commandments, nor is it any place else in the Hebrew Scriptures, nor is it in the Christian Scriptures. Bad news, it's not in the Bible at all. But the funny thing is people think It's in the Bible. It's one of those passages that people just assume, oh, that's in the Bible. The Barna Research Group that does research among Christians found 80% of Christians that thought God helps those who help themselves came from the Bible. It didn't. It turns out it actually came out of Greek philosophy. It's first found about five or six centuries before Jesus was born. And so we see it in Greek philosophy. What really made it famous is the work of Benjamin Franklin and Poor Richard's Almanac. Because although God helps those who help themselves is not in the Bible, it is in Poor Richard's Almanac. That's where I think a lot of us in American culture, that it sort of came into our culture and got to be seen as gospel truth. Hamilton argues that that phrase has some truth in it, but it also is untrue or unhelpful in two pretty important ways. So I want to start first, he calls it one-third true. So I want to start with the one-third truth and then share the two ways that we need to think differently, that it doesn't describe how God works in the world. So which part is true? God helps those who help themselves in the sense that we pray and ask for God's help, but we also do things along the way to try to move situations forward. 
Hamilton gives the example of praying uh, before meals. When his family is about to sit down for a meal, they pray and they thank God for the food and they thank God for the farmers and all who worked that we might receive it. And then they, after giving thanks, they enjoy the meal. But he comments that a lot of other things happened before they could enjoy the meal. Adam Hamilton went to work. <laughs> he earned income. His family, I think his wife, went to the grocery store and bought the food and someone cooked the food. There's a whole lot of effort that goes into that meal there on the table for which we thank God. He raises that just to say, to give you an extreme case, how many of you would sit down at a completely empty table, pray for God to give you dinner, and then expect a meal magically to appear? Does that happen in your household? Awesome. Alan, you got special thing because it never happens in mine. The number of times that I wish I could just pray and the meal shows up on my table never happened for me. Turns out you got to work a little bit. Sometimes we can get a false idea in our mind that God's going to swoop in and fix something without our participating in any way. If you want to find a job, you probably need to put together a resume to look, you know, go onto the online sources, figure out what clothes you're going to interview. And there's, talk to people who might know people in your field. There's a whole lot of things we do if we want to be employed. We don't just expect God to drop a job out of the sky for us. That could happen. But we don't expect that in every case. He tells the story of a, a couple that are members of his church outside Kansas City, and they desperately wanted to sell their house. They were very urgent about selling their house, and so every week there would be a prayer request about selling their house. And they bought a st statue of St. Joseph and buried upside down out, out in the ground to sell their house. And finally, the house didn't sell and didn't sell, and they were really mad. And they came in and talked to Pastor Adam about it and said, look, we're really mad at God. We've been praying. We did the St. Joseph thing and our house still hasn't sold. But in the midst of the conversation, they added that, by the way, the real estate agent had told them that their asking price was about $10,000 too high. So Pastor Adam said to them, it sounds like you're asking God to send you a buyer who will buy your house for $10,000 more than it's worth. And the couple thought, oh. Went home, thought about it, changed the price. House sold within a week. You got to work with God a little. <laughs> you, you know, there are things that you do. I, my friend Kimberly uh, has a phrase that I love, which is, God can't move a parked car. That is not in the Bible. It's not in Poor Richard's either. But I like it because it's, there are times I want God to do something in my life, but I also need to move a little with God. I need to be a little flexible. I need at least to have my gear in neutral so that if someone tried to push me, the car would actually move. There's, there's a participation with God that we need to offer in situations of difficulty. Hamilton lifts up in the Benedictine tradition, uh, orders of Benedictine priests and monks and nuns within the Roman Catholic tradition, the Benedictine kind of motto is ora et labora, which is Latin for pray and work. So Benedictines pray and they work. Benedictine houses 
you know, monasteries or convents will pray many times throughout the day. They'll also always have some kind of business they run. So you might see Benedictine jam or Benedictine um, honey or in our earlier service today when I was wearing my robe and a stole, I was wearing a stole that was woven from a group of monks in Maine and it's called Mary Weave. They do this in honor of the Virgin Mary and that's, they weave and sell these stoles, and that's how they earn money for their monastery. Ora et labora, pray and work. So God helps those who help themselves. There's some truth to that. We ask for God to help us, but it would also help if we cooperate with God. Truth to that. But there are two ways in which God helps those who help themselves isn't a good description of the Christian faith or of how God works in the world. The first one is the truth that God cares deeply for the poor and needy. And God makes it abundantly clear in our scriptures, in the Psalms, in the prophets, in the life of Jesus, that people of faith are called to be generous and to help people who are on the margins. In the book of Leviticus, uh, Moses says to the Hebrew people, they're about to move into the promised land. They're about to be able to cultivate. 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, they couldn't cultivate their own crops. They're finally going to cultivate crops. And God tells Moses, now you tell them, don't harvest everything you can. You've got to leave some unharvested around the edges. That's for the poor and the immigrant. There will always be people in your community who need some help, and you need some margin that's available so people can come and glean and, and receive some of that produce. Don't collect all of it for yourself. Leave a little bit of it there. That's who we are as people of faith. God works through people of faith to help out people who are going through hard times. And sometimes it's those face-to-face -face encounters that helps us understand how desperately hard some people's lives are. Adam Hamilton tells a, a dear story from when he was 23 years old and very earnest. 23-year-old Adam Hamilton heard of or met a man who asked for food. Adam Hamilton said, I won't just give you food, I'll take you to lunch. So they go to a restaurant, they sit down, they're enjoying lunch, they're getting to know each other. Adam finds out he doesn't have a job. Adam says, great, I'll help you get a job. Homeless man says, that's wonderful, I'd love a job. Well, okay, so do you have a resume? Well, no, I don't have a resume. Adam, great, he's there, he'll make the resume for him. So he sits down and he asks, what's your address? <laughs> and the man's like, I don't have an address. I'm homeless. Well, what's your phone number? I, I don't have a phone. Ooh. Okay, well, we'll move on. What about your education? Well, I, I had to leave school when I was eight or nine because my family needed me to earn some money. Ooh. So education's going to be, ele what elementary school did you attend? Okay. What about skills? Well, I used to work in a factory, but then I got injured and I couldn't do that work anymore. Suddenly, Adam Hamilton realized that his, he just didn't know. He was naive. This man was dealing with a whole host of issues that were vastly more than he could solve in a single lunch. 
Much as the 23-year-old came in to swoop in and save the day, it was just tougher than that. So this guy needed help with housing, and he needed help with job skills, he probably, and he needed help with food. There were a lot of ways in which this guy was really suffering and needed help. And as Christians, that's our job, to help other people, to realize that there are other people in the world who are really suffering and struggling and need some help. And that's why we do what we do. That's why we collect uh, school supplies and provide backpacks every summer so that kids can go to school in the fall and have the supplies they need so that they don't have to go to school without a pen or a pencil or other things that they need to succeed in school. We believe, hey, we don't want kids to go through not having what they need. We want them equipped so we do the backpack project. Thank you, Mary. <laughs> we collect food through our food pantries. We provide Thanksgiving dinner. And when that family receives a whole bunch of food for a week, that means that they've got some more cash. Maybe they can use it to buy their kids shoes <laughs> so their kids can go to school. That having the food part taken care of frees them up for medication or other things that can be very expensive in family life. That's part of what we do as people of faith. And some of you will know just what I'm talking about, those times that you're the one receiving. Some of us go through situations in our lives where we don't have the resources we need, and we need help. When I was 27 years old, I entered missionary service, and I sold my car. I had a fabulous Ford Escort, remember those? And sold that, went off, did my missionary service. I came back, I went to seminary. I had a really good scholarship. It was terrific. It covered my tuition. It covered almost all my housing. I was really, really blessed. But it didn't pay for books, and it didn't pay for other needs, and so I worked all through seminary. Well, after my first year of seminary, they prepared us for the second and third years, where in a Master's of Divinity program, you need to serve a church part-time. They called it field education. Well, my, I was at seminary in Evanston, and... There were buses, and there's the L. But it turns out there aren't all that many United Methodist churches that are all that easy to get to by bus or L. And I was really getting anxious. What in the world was I going to do? I didn't have a car. I needed to serve a church part-time. I didn't have a car. I didn't know what to do. Completely out of the blue, I received a phone call from a beautiful woman named Ruth Gish. She was a friend of my mom's, a member of Grace United Methodist Church, had had no idea of my need, called me up and said, you know, Jane, my husband George isn't driving his car anymore, so I've got this car in my garage. Could you use a car? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I could use a car. She said, well, it's a mission car. Ruth's son uh, was a missionary in Japan for decades, uh, George Gish Jr., and she understands mission, and it's a mission car. That beautiful woman lent me that car for two years of seminary and the first couple of years that I was out of seminary and serving congregations. She even paid my auto insurance. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Like, what a huge gift. I'm so grateful that she had the heart that said, you know what, sometimes people don't have any money. Maybe someone could use my car. Wow. Thank you. God cares about the poor and needy, and God inspires 
us, sometimes we're the ones that are poor and needy and we're receiving that gift. Other times we have some assets and we can be the ones to share those gifts with others. What a pleasure of our lives together. So God cares for the poor and needy. That's one way in which God helps those who help themselves doesn't quite work. But there's a final strand, and it's the crucial, crucial strand of grace. God helps those who help themselves is not a very gracious statement. It's a little blamey. It's a little judgy. (laughs) Sometimes we are in circumstances where we cannot help ourselves. And God's grace works in those situations, covers those situations, provides opportunity and new life. Hamilton uses the example of bereavement. Sometimes a person has lost a spouse or a child, and in that loss, they are just flattened. They can't imagine their life without that person. They find themselves unable to function. And that's where we need community. That's where we'll see others come in and provide food for people who are bereaved or take someone out for lunch or on an outing. Just help support them because sometimes you can't help yourself. (laughs) Sometimes life is just too hard and grief can be one of those circumstances where people are flattened by it and they need people to come alongside them and provide some help and some hope. Another way that people can be flattened is sin. Sometimes we turn away from God. We may not even realize we're doing it. And we can get into habits that are sinful, are bad for our souls and are bad for people around us. Hamilton gives an example of a couple that were members of their church and went to one of the other pastors. It turned out that the man had a job in which he needed to travel a lot for work. And so he often found himself, himself alone in hotel rooms. During that time of all these nights away, he began looking at pornography on the internet. And that beginning to look at internet pornography became an addiction for him. After a while, looking at pornography was not enough for him. And he began to hire prostitutes to come to his hotel room. He did it once. It became a habit. He was lost. Finally, he told his wife what was going on. And you can imagine how devastated she was to know her husband had gotten into that kind of pattern. They were heart sick. They were soul sick. But they went to the pastor and counselor at their church and poured out what was going on. And the counselor heard them and said, I don't know if your marriage can be saved, but I do know that there is hope. And she spoke directly to the man and You can confess this, you can get over this, God will forgive. There is no sin that is deeper than the deep grace of God. There is nothing you could do that could cut you off from the grace of God. I know sometimes we feel like we are too bad and God could not love us anymore. We are wrong. God's grace is more powerful than that. God's grace is deeper than that. That marriage looked like a goner. It looked like there was no possibility. And that couple did hard work, hard, hard work for the man to confess the patterns he'd gotten into, for him to repent, for him to invite Christ into his life and turn him around from the practices that were so damaging to his soul and to his marriage. 
And the wife worked at, at learning about her husband's situation, at forgiving him. And in time, the marriage was saved. And that couple is still together. That's grace. They, he had gotten so low in his life, he couldn't fix it. But they went to get help. And someone helped them. And God's grace came in and gave them a possibility, a fresh start, and new life. Or a third way where we desperately need grace. Sometimes we are facing a situation, a disease, uh, sometimes a mental health issue, maybe clinical depression, in which we are flattened by that depression and we cannot make ourselves better. There is a powerful story around that um, by the noted author and educator Parker Palmer. He wrote this beautiful book, Let Your Life Speak, discerning the voice, what is it, listening for the voice of vocation. And he has a chapter in here about his depression. It's called All the Way Down. Parker Palmer is brilliant, gifted, ambitious, the guy who has it all. And in his 40s, he found himself flattened by depression. Hard to get out of bed, hard to get to work, just flattened. And he had a pretty difficult set of experiences around that. People meant well, and they said and did all the wrong things. <laughs> they would go up to him and they would try to talk him out of it. But Parker, you're so gifted. Parker, you're brilliant. Parker, you couldn't possibly depress, be depressed. And when you are in the depths of clinical depression, for many people, that kind of chatter about how good you are doesn't help at all. It certainly didn't help him. Or people, oh, let's, let's take you out in the sun. That'll fix it. You know, pe people would come in and be perky, and they meant well. And it just made him feel more lonely and more isolated. What helped was a precious, beautiful gift from his friend Bill. Bill asked his permission and received it. And then Bill came every day, took off Parker's shoes, took off his socks, and gently and lovingly massaged his feet every afternoon. Didn't say hopeful things, didn't try to fix it, just massaged his feet. Sometimes he would make a gentle observation. Parker, it feels like you're really struggling today. Parker, mm -hmm. other days he might say, Parker, you, it's, it seems a little looser today. Are you, is it any easier? Parker might say yes or no. But otherwise he just came, massaged his feet, cared for him. Incarnational love, God made flesh. Sacramental caring, coming and quietly and gently, caring for Parker's body, massaging his feet, being with him. Parker did eventually come out of that depression, and there, there were, you know, medications that helped. There was talk therapy that helped. But when he looks back at that time, what really helped him is the friend who loved him enough to go every afternoon and massage his feet, just be with him and care for him. That's grace. We worship a God who loves beyond our deserving, beyond our capacity. Yes, that God helps people who help themselves, some, absolutely. But sometimes we need 
a hand up. Sometimes we need help from someone else because we don't have the resources to, uh, for what we need to function in our world. And so we need the Gishmobile to get through seminary. We need some food to help us through the week. Other times we are flattened by life circumstances, by bereavement, by uh, sin, by depression. Elements that just flatten us and we, we want to help ourselves and we just can't. And God's grace can come into those situations if we will let God work through us. May we allow God's grace to enter our lives to provide healing and hope. And may we be ones who are Jesus' hands and feet for others. May we be ones who go and offer care, just sitting alongside people in difficult times, showing that grace, no matter how low you are, nothing is too low to be lifted up and loved and cared for by the grace of God. Thanks be to God, whose grace enters our lives and gives us hope and new life. Amen.